Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Well, this morning we are doing things just a little bit differently. As you know, we usually go through a text, a book of the Bible and, uh, and examine it. But this morning we're doing a bit of a topical thing. And so for that reason, I have a handout for you. If you happen to not receive the handouts, I understand that there were more handouts that were printed so please do raise your hand for the, for the stewards so that they can bring you the, the handout. If you didn't receive it, it will help you follow uh, this morning. And for the children, uh, the words uh, that you are going to be tracking uh, as we are going through the sermon this morning are the words elder, overseer, and pastor. Elder, overseer, pastor. If you... Uh, hear those words, write down, uh, count them, how many times you heard them, and uh, I understand there's a tasty treat for you afterwards. Well, this morning, we, I have a question for you. What is a pastor? Uh, what is a pastor? In some contexts, the pastor is merely a motivator. His job is to get the church going and excited for the week ahead. In some contexts, uh, the pastor is a, sacram a sacramental priest uh, who simply is there to baptize babies and give out communion and uh, organize our weddings. In other contexts, the, the pastor operates in a manner akin to that of a corporate CEO, hiring and firing church staff at will. In all this confusion, what does the Bible teach about the New Testament office of pastor? What is his character? What is his function? How is he to be installed? Over the next three weeks, we as a church will consider the New Testament's teaching on this office. As an oversight of this church, we have thought it would be beneficial to take a break from our normal expositions to deal with the subject because we want to add more elders to the church in the coming year or so. And so, and so we want to be on the same page as to what exactly we're looking for. But also we have a large influx, a large number of new people and new members. And so we want to make sure that we're all on the same page regarding what is uh, our offices in the church. We, we dealt with deacons last year. And so this year we're going to deal with the office of pastor so that we all know what to expect and what exactly is this office. For this morning, we will consider the place of the pastoral office in the grand scheme of God's design. And I want to look at that under two headings. First, we will see the place of the pastoral office. And second, we will see the titles of the pastoral office as a way to flesh this out. And you, will, you can follow along on your outline. 
So, without further ado, let's get into it. First then, who are the elders and why are they here? What is the place of the pastoral office in the grand design that God has? And for that, turn with me first to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We will be moving around um, and uh, I, perhaps I'll make some of, some of the verses that we'll use available in another format later on um, if you happen to miss some of the verses. But Ephesians chapter 4, we will spend some time here. And we'll look at verses 11 to 14. Verses 11 to 14. Here's the word of God. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This is God's word. The first thing we are to notice here is that the Lord Jesus Christ, being the one who owns Christianity, being the one who loved this church even to his own death, and being the one who is ultimately responsible for the care and provision of the church, we see in this text that that Jesus Christ provides the necessary resources for the church to be nurtured and protected. See, when it says he, in verse 11, it's referring to Christ. As he ascended, this is what he gave. And what it says he gave here, it says, for the purpose of building the church up, you see here in verse 11, it says, he gave gifts. And the gifts in view here in this particular verse, the gifts, the, these gifts that he, he, he gave are what we call the word ministry offices. This morning we have ordained deacons. That's an office in the church. And while deacons are a New Testament office, they are not a word ministry office. Hence their omission from this particular list. Of course, you'll remember from our discussion regarding deacons last year, that they are, while they are not a word ministry office, they are a crucial ministry in the life of the church because part of their work, among other things, is to ensure that the, those who are in the word ministry of the church are freed up to do that work. So when you look at this list, these lists of, of ministries listed here in verse 11, we see four word ministries. Four, I know it reads as five, but just work with me. There's four word ministries. The first two are the foundational and now extinct, now non-existing offices of apostles and prophets. And the second two are the abiding ministries of the evangelists and pastor teachers. We have spoken extensively recently on the office of apostle and by, by extension prophets as well. You can look at any of our last discussions around this in, in 2 Corinthians and also in the book of Acts. 
you, we've spoken a lot about that. Particularly in the book of Acts, we had a whole sermon defining what those are. So if you want to know more about that, you can go to the, our series in the book of Acts. Lord willing, in the future, we will discuss the specific ministry and identity of the evangelist. However, our attention this morning is on that last one, that last word ministry, the shepherds and teachers. Uh, while it might sound in the English like those are two separate ministries, those are two separate people, pastor and teacher, in reality it is one office. It's the pastors who teach, pastor teachers. That's a, they, 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 Paul puts them together. They are one particular category, pastors and teachers. There isn't a, a pastor and then a teacher in the church. These are, this is the same person. So I know you might have heard in the past the five-fold ministry that's actually incorrect. It's fourfold ministry in the scripture here. These four ministries give to the church what the church needs in order to be equipped. Look at that. Verse 12. To be equipped for the work of the ministry. If you look at that verse, who is it that does the work of ministry? It's not the pastors. It's not the prophets. It's not the apostles. It's the saints. This is a very important church. We as a church do not pay people to do our work of ministry. We do the work of ministry. We do not have a separation between the clergy and the laity. Such that the clergy are the ones who are expected to do the work of ministry. The text makes it very clear the work of ministry is ours. You see, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The saints have a job to do. And so these word ministries are given to prepare, to train the church for that particular ministry. So if you're trying to understand what, why pastors exist, you can say that pastors exist to equip the church with the necessities of what the church needs to do for her work. Now this assumes something. It assumes that the church needs to be trained. Right? It assumes that the church needs to be equipped as it grows. Because the Lord Jesus knows what the church needs. See, if, if you need to know as a member of the church that you, are to, you ought to be hospitable. You need to know that and you need to be taught what that means from the scriptures. You need to know that you are, ought to look out for your brother or sister who is unwell in the faith. It's your job to do so. And you need to be taught to do, you need to be equipped and prepared on how you are to do that. And what are the ways, how am I to, what am I look out for as I am rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And instruct one another according to Romans 15. And so the implications for that are clear. The implications for us are clear. First, it means that pastors, as part of the word ministry, pastors are supposed to give us a regular diet of the full counsel of God. Okay? If, if we are to be equipped, then we need to be equipped on everything. We need to be given the full counsel of God. Everything. Nothing must be spared. All that God has for us, we need to be given. Pastors then need to know God's word and be equipped themselves in order to be able to equip others. 
But they not only just need to give us the, 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 the diet, the, the full diet, the regular diet of the full counsel of God, but also the pastors are to apply specific remedies at specific points for particular purposes. So you can't be coming to your pastor and saying, hey, you know, I'm having this, this particular dis discussion with my wife. I'm having a, this dispute, this issue with my wife. And then your pastor says, well, right now I'm studying through Leviticus. And I think you need to read more Leviticus. <laughs> now, while Leviticus might be useful, that's not really fit for purpose. See, we have to be getting the normal vitamins, the normal regular diet of vitamins and minerals and all the good food over time. But at specific times when we are lacking certain things, when we are iron deficient, then we need to get iron. When we have specific things, then we need to speak to our pastors to get those things that we're particularly lacking on. It also means... Number two, that we as a congregation must assume that we need to be equipped. We need to assume that. The Lord would not give us what we do not need. You understand? The Lord Jesus would not say, I'm giving you pastors, but you really could do without them. You really could sort your life out, everything could go well, without the function of pastor in your life. To say that is the height of arrogance. To say that is telling the Lord Jesus Christ, Hey, dude, thank you for dying for me, but now I've got this. Hey, you have laws and things and you, 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 you have ways for me to live, but sharp, I'll do my own thing. No. See, the Lord Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. He's our Redeemer and our Master. He's the captain of our salvation and the captain of our souls. He tells us what to do. And we don't have the freedom to change that. We need to assume that we need to be equipped. Ours is a life of being continually equipped until he returns. Now, you have to understand what I'm saying here. This does not mean that pastors or these word ministries are experts on everything. Okay? We can't probably help you with the particulars of your job. We can't give you medical advice. But as it relates to how the Word of God relates to you and your job, and how the Word of God relates to the medical advice you're being given, pastors are given as a gift from the Lord to help us as we think on those matters. You understand? And more to the point of this text, they exist to train us with regards to the work of advancing the kingdom. That's the work of ministry. You, know, if you ask yourself, what is the work of ministry? What is it? Why do we still exist? Why, does the church, why is the church still here? What is the work that, that the Lord has for His church? It is to advance the kingdom of heaven on earth. It is to advance the rule of Jesus Christ in the hearts and lives of men. What compri what's comprised in that? What are some of the details? What are the, the, the particulars of that? Well, our own personal holiness is a part of that. To bring to bear the rule of God in our own hearts, minds, emotions, and homes. That is the work of ministry. 
to relate to each other in the church and to others in the world in a manner that, as Paul often says, a manner that fits our calling, a manner that is worthy of the calling which we have received. That is the work of ministry. And chiefly, our witness to a sin-sick world that needs, desperately needs, the surgery of Jesus Christ's redemption. That is the work of ministry. We need to know how we are to witness to the world around us and tell them about the Savior who has come to save the world. And for this work that we, that we have, all of us sitting here in the pew, that's our work. We must be doing that work continually. For that, we have been given the office of pastor-teacher so that we might be equipped. That's the first point. But the second point is this. It's not just that we might be equipped for the work of ministry, but also that we might mature in the faith and are therefore protected from heresies. Mature in the faith and be protected from heresies. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we might no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This attaining to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of God speaks of maturing regarding the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. The body of doctrine, the body of teaching that was once and for all delivered, we need to mature and understand that and know that more. See, when we, when we, when we first hear the gospel, a, a clock resets. We become children again. When you, when you first receive the gospel, you become a child. And you need to grow. You need to grow and grow in, into more understanding of what it is that you have been saved into. But there's another thing about being a child. When you're a child, all kinds of things can sweep you aside. Right? Someone can come and say something and then you believe it and you'll, you, you'll go with them. And then the other person comes and says something else and then you go that way. See? Word ministries are, are given so that we can be built up doctrinally. You see, the thrust of this sentence in verses 13 to 14 is concerned not primarily with your personal holiness, but rather right belief. Are you with me? It is concerned, no, it is directly aimed not necessarily at your heart, but rather at your head. Your head must grow to understand the fundamental doctrines of Christ so that you will not be manipulated by lies. You see, a child can be told anything and they'll believe it. But a functioning adult is called naive if they just believe anything. They just believe whatever is said. Oh, you said this. Oh, that sounds plausible. Oh, okay. Oh, you said this. That's, that's called naive. We, we are to grow out of that, the childishness of being told things. We need to settle things and move past certain things and grow up to understand the, the faith that was once delivered, once and for all, delivered to the saints. Here's a quick implication for you. Quick implication for you from this particular point. 
A quick implication is that you must not be satisfied with mental stagnation in your spiritual growth. You must not be satisfied with staying at the same place in terms of your understanding of the faith. See, we normally, and rightfully so, we normally focus on making sure that our practice and our hearts are right before God. And I think that is true. It is true. We must make sure that our hearts and our practice are right before God, that we're walking in holiness, personal holiness. That's very true. But in the same way, we must not be satisfied with having the same theological questions that we had five years ago. Having the same theological questions we had last year. We're not, we're not settling things. We're still just, well, it's, I mean, if somebody comes with a good argument, they can sweep me out. I'll, I'll believe it. We need to settle things and move on and grow up into the faith, into, the mature, into mature manhood, to the measure of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by all kinds of cunning. You don't have to go here. You can if you want, but you don't have to. Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 11. The writer of Hebrews says this. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, yet you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. One could say that the writer of Hebrews here is a bit exasperated with the Hebrews because, to ha because he has to write to them the basics of the Christian faith again. He has to tell them again, you guys are still stuck on the first gear here. What's going on? I, li I like how John Calvin says this when he says that while they are grown men and women, he has to go back to them again and teach them the alphabet. They are grown men and women. They should be teaching others the alphabet. But now here he is with grown people telling them A, B, C. It's a problem. We need to grow. We need to understand the faith. We need to advance. And of course, you don't compare yourself with others. You need to just do what you're doing before the Lord. It is not arrogance, my friends, to settle things regarding the faith. It's not arrogance to say, I'm settled. I understand that a person is saved by grace alone. I understand that Christ is God. And anything of the contrary is heresy. I understand that all believers have access to God the Father through the mediation of the Son. I, get, I understand this. 
This is, this is a doctrine I'm selling. Of course, I don't, it doesn't mean I understand all the particulars of it with all the fancy Latin terms that Michael quotes. <laughs> but certainly it means that I get it. I'm, I'm settled on this. Um, I, nobody can come and confuse me on this now. I can pick it up when someone says something. Someone can come and say a bunch of things, but then they'll say something. I'm like, hey, whoa, whoa, reverse. That's wrong. See, we need to, we need to grow up and understand. We need to understand more. And I love how Calvin says it. Calvin says that it, it needs to be equal to the amount of time we have been given. You can't have been a Christian for 10 years and you're asking the same questions that new Christians are asking. You need to grow. You need, you need, you need, you need to have this, uh, under, this, this desire, this, this, this thriving within you to know more about the Lord and to know more about His kingdom and how the scriptures work and everything. You need to be on a continual growth path. Of course you are too. Keep an open mind if certain things you haven't understood well. But while you keep an open mind, you know the old adage, don't let your brains fall out. So that is, that is the, and I would say just even just in practical application, this is why here at Heritage, Michael and I, we, we have Bible Hour. Bible Hour is designed to equip we do touch different kinds of categories of the, the, of the loci of theology to try and equip and get us all on the same, just to even give you a taste of, of some of these things so that you can go and study them further. And, this, for this, and so for that reason, I'd, I'm going to use this as a plug, as an advert for Bible Hour. <laughs> if Bible Hour is not a part of your normal attendance, uh, I would encourage you to do so because we try and at attack all kinds of different things that, with a lot more freedom and a lot more uh, class kind of thing. Uh, than we can do in a sermon, so that we can all be equipped and grow in, those, in, all, of, in all these uh, particular points. So that's the first thing. That's the, that's the place of the New Testament pastor teacher. He is, he, he, he is given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and then second, to build them up in the faith so that they are protected from heresies. Second, now let's move to, this, to our second point, which is the titles of the New Testament pastor. Come with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And this is where we're going to get a little bit technical. That's why I have an outline there for you to work with me so that you don't get lost. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is what Peter says. Verses 1 to 4. <clears throat> so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. I'm not going to do a full treatment of this text. Uh, I, I just want to point out certain things to you that you might not uh, immediately see, especially if you don't read Greek. 
In these verses, we see Peter use the three titles that the New Testament pastor is called. There are three titles that a pastor is called in the New Testament. And in those three titles, we see a description of his office, right? His place and his work. First, he says, I exhort the elders among you. The elders among you. The Greek noun there is presbyteros. Presbyteros. If you have heard of the Presbyterian church, that's where the word comes from. The elder word elder is the word presbyteros. And then in verse 2, Peter speaks of the task of elders. He says their task is to shepherd the flock. The Greek, the Greek, the Greek verb is poemano. Um, the Latin equivalent of this is the word pastor. That's the popular phrase. That's where it comes from. The word pastor uh, is the Latin transliteration of the word poemano. Um, and that all means shepherd. Okay? Um, shepherd is a pastor, is a poemano. Though nobody says poemano, really. Um, and then third, look at verse 2 again. What is the task that they are to do? They are to shepherd the flock and they are to exercise oversight. The Greek, the Greek root of that verb oversight is the word episkopeo, where we get the noun episkopos, which means overseer. So when you see in the New Testament, you often see the term an overseer must be like this. An overseer must be that. That's where it comes from. It comes from episkopos. And the popular word for this today, one of the popular words for this today is the word bishop. The word bishop is, come, is actually an old English transliteration of the term episkopos. It's an old, from the medieval era, they use the word uh, bishop, from, but it, it just means episkopos, which also means overseer. In the time remaining, we will look at each of these three terms to understand their meaning so that we can get a clearer understanding of this office of pastor, bishop, elder. But before we do that, I want to mention two things that are very important. Before we go into working on each of these three terms, I want to mention two important notes for you. First, these terms, these three terms, refer to the same office. These three terms refer to the same office. Peter uses these interchangeably here, and Paul does so throughout his letters. He re Paul also refers to them interchangeably. As he says, speaks of an overseer, and then he speaks of an elder. In fact, just real quickly, let me just show you this. Come to Titus chapter 1 very quickly, if you can. Hold your place here. <clears throat> Come to Titus chapter 1 and I want to see you, I want to show you Paul using this, these terms uh, interchangeably. He doesn't use the word pastor, but you'll see he'll use overseer and elder interchangeably. Look at verse 5 of Titus chapter 1. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint who? Elders, right? Appoint presbyters, presbyteros. In every town as I directed you. And if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and are open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. 
for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Do you see? He just changed the term. Because in his mind, they're interchangeable. Overseer is the same as elder, is the same as pastor. And Peter certainly, in our text this morning, does the same thing. Elders shepherd and oversee. Unfortunately, I am aware that because of the distortions both in history and today, the fact that pastor, bishop, elder is referring to the same person might be news to many of you. I get that. Churches have taken these terms and created all sorts of different hierarchies in the church that have no basis in Christian teaching. The Catholic Church, for example, following the Roman Empire's model, have what is called an Episcopal structure. By Episcopal structure, we mean a hierarchical structure, where at the top they have the Pope, and then under the, underneath the Pope, they have the, the, the cardinals. And then under the cardinals, you have the archbishops. And then you have the bishops. And then you, you can keep going down, and then you get to the priest, and then you get to the laity. The Anglican Church has a similar structure as well. They even have, they have, uh, they have archbishops, and then bishops, and then they have archdeacons and deacons. And of late, many Pentecostal churches uh, follow some kind of episcopal structure, um, especially when the church has many branches. There's the man of God on top. You know, he, the man of God planted a church, and then there's people under him when he makes other branches. But now, the man of God can't be called the same term as these other people who are looking after these other branches, right? So then he's called a bishop. So it's Bishop so-and-so because he's on top of everyone, and then these other churches... There's just have pastors or whatever else term they might use. Or they call him an apostle, right? To distinguish him from the rest. Uh, or even prophet. They even use the word prophet sometimes to distinguish him from the, from the rest of the past. Just the normal pastors, I'm above you. That is unbiblical. That is, we do not find that anywhere in the scriptures. For us, as Reformed Baptists, when we look at the scripture, we do not see all these different structures. We simply see pastor, elder, overseer over a local church. Pastor, elder, bishop um, over a local church. So feel free to call Michael Bishop Rogers. <laughs> feel free. Have at it. Have at it. Don't, don't call me Bishop Gunene because that will make me sound charismatic, I think. But uh, have at it with Michael. You can call me presbyter if you want. These terms, these terms are, are, are interchangeable, right? They, they refer to the same office. The second thing I want you to note is that, is this in verse 4. And this is something that a lot of people, Michael and I believe, miss. Who is the chief shepherd in verse 4 of 1 Peter? Come back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Who is the chief shepherd? Verse 4, let me read verse 4 for you again. And when the chief, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. Okay. The word shepherd there means pastor, right? So you and I have just agreed that Jesus is the chief pastor. Are you with me? So then, who is the 
senior pastor of this church? Who is the arch pastor of this church? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Whenever you see, whenever you read through the New Testament regarding elders, overseers, pastors, it's always discussed about them as a collective, as a group. The only time you see somebody be called a senior or a chief above the others, it is referring to the savior of the church. I mean, let me read you a few verses. 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, you don't have to go there. It says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. 1 Timothy 4, 14, that was. Titus 1, verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so you might remain what, put what remained into order and appoint in every town elders as I directed you. Philippians 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. No mention of a senior pastor among those overseers. They're overseers. The only time between the, the overseers, between the elders, we see a distinction is in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. So come with me there and I'll show you what distinction it is. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. I'm sorry, we're a bit of a finger Olympics today, just moving about, but uh, we need to see these things because these, this thing permeates the New Testament. Here in 1 Timothy, in chapter 5, Paul is talking about people who are to be given money in the church, so he is, who, are, who are to be supported by the church. And he has spoken about widows and other people who need help, and now he comes to the elders. And this is what he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. He says, the elders who rule well must be considered of, worthy of double honor. And in, the, in this context, honor means payment. Uh, uh, you can see that uh, one of the words that, uh, that the New Testament writers use for payment is honor. You'll see that in... in uh, First Peter as well, and, and Paul uses that term a lot, meaning money. So he's saying that the elders who real rule well are worthy of double payment. And then he says this, especially, particularly, those who labor in the preaching and teaching. This means, this is what this means. While elders rule as a council or a board, there's a group of elders, and they rule as a council, Together, there are those among the elders whose specific labor, their work of life, how they get food on the table, is preaching and teaching. In other words, you can have a group of elders, but within that group of elders, some of them are lawyers, and that's where they get paid. Some of them are accountants, and that's where they get paid. Some of them are, you know, they run internet companies, and that's how they get paid. But there are some who dedicate their lives to laboring in the preaching and teaching. And those ones especially are worthy of double payment. That's what he's saying. He is not creating a, he's not creating a hierarchy between them. He's just saying that in terms of function, they really need to be taken care of because that's what they're laboring in. Do you understand this? 
Oh. Why does this collective understanding of the elder board or the elder council matter? Why am I even making this point to you this morning? This is why. Because no matter how gifted one or more of the elders are, no matter, no matter how older perhaps by an age one or more of the elders are, the council of elders are not to be a group of fanboys who are yes men to a prominent figure among them. It is a council of elders. They are a group. They function together. We call this the parity of elders. They are a group. There's no senior among them. They all work together. That is why, and a number of times I've had conversations with people who tell me that, you know, yeah, just like your senior pastor, right? Tyrell is like this. And I'm like, there's no senior pastor at Heritage. Michael and Tyrell have always been on the same, but people don't get that concept. No, 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 I'm sure, I've seen Tyrell more, he's written more, he has to be the senior pastor. Okay, I'm at this church, are you telling me what it's like at this church? <laughs> okay. We don't have this. No, it's a council. Now, does it mean that some or more of them will be more prominent? It's possible. Especially the ones who are laboring and preaching and teaching, they can be more prominent because they're the ones who are constantly giving the word of God to the people. So they can be more prominent. And we certainly even see that in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 11. Wow, Peter submitted himself to the council of, of the apostles and the elders there with James. But he was the more prominent one, isn't it? We've seen you and I in the book of Acts that Peter is the more prominent one. Peter and John at least are the more prominent ones. But you'll see when we come to chapter 11 of Acts and chapter 15, how even Peter submits himself to the council. Even though he is the more the one who speaks the most. Even when James speaks, he's in chapter 15, he is summarizing what has been said and then putting forward, and then it says it pleased what the elder the, pleased the whole board, the whole group. That's how the church is supposed to function. We are not to be at the women fancy of one man just because he is well gifted. Now, that's an important thing for our organization. With that in mind, let's conclude by briefly looking at these three terms. This again is going to be a brief treatment. I, I'm planning to send out something after these three sermons, to send out a, a, large, a larger document, I think it's about 18 pages, uh, for you to read more and study more regarding uh, these particular things. But yet, let me just give a brief uh, survey of these three terms, these three titles of the New Testament pastor. The term episkopos, translated overseer or bishop, connotes one who oversees the work. The term actually appears a number of times in the Greek Old Testament in different contexts. For example, Joseph was given authority to watch over, to oversee, to episcopal, and administer all the aspects of Potiphar's house in Genesis 39. Solomon appointed 3,600 episcopos, 3,600 overseers, translated sometimes as supervisors, to make the people work in 2 Chronicles chapters 2 and verse 18. In Josiah's time of temple renovation, there were overseers over all the workmen in every job in 2 Chronicles 34 verse 13 and 17. There are at least two images painted by the use of the term episkopos. First, 
The overseer is one who is in authority in the church. This is evident from Paul's writing especially. He argues that an overseer must manage his own household well in order to be entrusted with the management, with the care of God's church in 1 Timothy 3 verse 4. He tells Timothy, who is an overseer, who is an overseer in Ephesus, to charge, to command uh, the, church, the believers as regards their behavior and teaching. After denying women the right to exercise authority over men in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul then proceeds to explain the qualifications of a man who can exercise this authority in 1 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 1 and following. The implications for this are clear. The overseers lead Christ's church. The organizing management and direction of the church the Lord Jesus has placed squarely on the overseers. If you find a chaotic church where sin is not dealt with, it's because of the overseers. If you find a church where the gospel is not the main creed, the main thing, it's because of the overseers. If you find all kinds of unresolved issues and it's just a tense situation, things are happening and nothing is being dealt with and resolved, it's because of the overseers. The overseers are the ones that the Lord Jesus has given to the church to ensure that the work of the ministry is working well and that the church is led in a good and healthy fashion. That is why we have to be careful about the overseers that we have over us because their lives are very important. They need to be focused on the important thing and to lead us in the right direction. You with me? This is why it's very important. The second image painted by the use of the term overseer is that the overseer is a steward of God's church. As we read earlier in Titus chapter 1 verse 7, he is a steward. He is the supervisor of the work, not the owner of the work. He supervises it, he oversees it, he manages it, but he doesn't own it, it's not his. It's not his work. The overseer is a servant of God. He is to take his direction from God. He has freedom to do the work in so far as God allows him. He is not at liberty to either change the work or reinterpret his role. Imagine me coming up one Sunday morning and say, Hey guys, I'm, your, I'm still the pastor here, but uh, I'm now, my job is more marketing. Okay, so keep me as a pastor there, but now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor of marketing. I'm, I'm more, my, my focus is more the marketing stuff. I'm not really going to you know, help with the word or, or manage the church here. That's, I'll leave that to others. I'm just going to be dealing with the marketing stuff and, and just enjoying the website and all of these things. Can't do that. Can't reinterpret your role. Can't determine for yourself what your role is. Your authority is given from Christ and it goes so far as God says and no further. The, the overseer is to be questioned disobeyed and even sanctioned in the church whenever he teaches or acts in a manner inconsistent with his calling as laid out in scripture. It's a responsibility of the church to hold your overseers to the 
to what the scripture says. Can't do whatever he wants. Can't separate. You know, one of the things that I I think I've heard a lot more this year. I heard some of this last year, but one of the things that I've heard so much this year is people have been coming in and new members, etc. Is I've never spoken, you know, I've never had this much access, access to a pastor before. Just to be able to speak to you and, and then you're going to come and see me. I've never seen that before. And I'm like, what in the world? Where do, where do these men get their, their, their programs from? Who tells them what their job is? Can't reinterpret our roles. Well, that's the overseer. Second, let us consider the term presbyteros, translated as elder. Presbyteros. This term comes from the Old Testament designation of elders among the people of Israel, as well as for leadership of clans and families who were to lead the people and settle disputes among them. It also took another form uh, in, the, in the synagogal period where there were elders or rulers of the synagogues. And so uh, those were, that's where this, this, this elder term really comes from. It comes from those two ideas. But you remember how Jethro told Moses, uh, when Moses was leading the people of Israel, and then he was trying to handle all the disputes by himself, Jethro told Moses that it is not wise for him to be the sole judge over Israel, but rather that he is to, quote, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. This, of course, tells us more about the the stature of the elders. The use of the term elder shows the idea of maturity and trustworthiness among the people. See, one of the reasons why Paul says that we should not make an elder out of a novice, a new Christian, is is this reason. Because he has to have wisdom. He needs to know God's word and be able to put it together. But he also needs to have a stature among the people where people can trust him. That is why, dear church, again, the most important thing about an elder is not his gifts, but his godliness. The most important thing about an elder is his character, not his giftings. We can get giftings somewhere else. But if we have an, an elder whom we cannot trust, and conversely, you need to watch out for people who say, yeah, just don't tell this to the elders. Very careful. Don't, don't, don't talk to, don't, 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 don't say this to the elders. Just, just let's just deal with this here. Don't, don't bring this, or don't speak, don't, don't talk to that elder. Talk to that one. Divisive, problematic issues. And those are the kinds of things that creep into a church when, when we start not actually thinking about it in a biblical term. Why is he an elder then if you can't go to him? Why is he there? What's the point? These are things that we need to think about and think clearly about as we consider uh, the office of elder. And finally, the term poemano or pastor translated as shepherd and this one is perhaps the one we're most familiar with and it's the most it's the one that has really the most uh, rich images the idea painted by the the term pastor 
is that he is to watch over and guide the church like a shepherd guides sheep to green pastures. God's people need to be cared for and guided of, on the path of righteousness. They need to know where to eat, what to eat. But also, they need to be warned about the enemies, the wolves. And they need to be protected from the wolves that will come in and cause a problem among the flock. They need to be warned about the enemy within, the devil and the world. And this then speaks of soul care. Christ said, you remember Christ said repeatedly to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed them, give them their due food in due season. This is why Paul can also say to Timothy, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort as fits the occasion. Take care of the sheep of God. That's what this, this, the picture of this alludes to. And you have to understand the implications of this to you, church. And listen to me. The world will offer you many alternatives to who you should look toward to care for your soul. The world does not have a shortage of people who want to pastor you. And they say, go to these people to be protected. Go to these people to have your soul cared for and, 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 and have discussion with your soul. And really, when you're thinking about your, your state and how you're feeling, these are the people you ought to go to. And I want to tell you that Michael and I are jealous because we are the ones that God in this church has placed for that, has given for that. But we find ourselves competing with others out there. Let me tell you who. Political commentators. Podcasts that you listen to, the radio, all of this. They're, they, they're out there telling you how to think. What the real enemies are. Who the real people are. And, and where the real problem is and what the green pastures is. They tell you that. And then you start believing it. You start thinking that the biggest problem in the world is this. The biggest, issue with, the, re, the biggest issue are these things over here and there. Whereas if you were to come to us, we would tell you that the biggest problem you have in the, in the world is yourself. And the devil. And the system of the world. But you see, the political commentators are going to tell you, and the radio hosts, they're going to tell you, this is the real enemy. They're going to try and pass to you. Therapists. Therapists. You have this issue here, you're, you're feeling low, you're, you're depressed, you're low, you're not sure what's going on with your soul, and the world has taught you and trained you, you go to a therapist. Who told you that? Who told you? The therapist is trained in Freud and Maslow. They're the captains of your soul. Christ is the captain of your soul. Christ is the one who knows what you need. Freud and Maslow might say some true things. But the real per the person you need to start off with is Christ. They, the doctrine that you go to when you go to therapists, they give you 
is Freud and Maslow, that doctrine of those men, wicked men, who if, if they did not repent of their sins, are right now being judged eternally. And you're going to bank your life on those men? Pastors have been given to you for that reason. Pastors are the ones who are to who God has given. And you know who's the third person? This is a popular one, especially among you younger people. This is the popular one. As to where to go to get you care for your soul. Yourself. Yourself. They say, take care of yourself first. Take care of number one. Look out for number one. Number one, make sure that you know your, 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 this space is safe and everything around you is really wonderful. Like just get into a good space in your mind and, and just like remove toxicity from you. Right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. When actually a number of our problems are because we prioritize ourselves too much. When you consider where Christ says we are to go for warnings and safety and soul care, when our spirits are unwell, do you know where he says we should go? To each other in the church. To counsel one another. You know there's a verse in Romans 15 that says, I have full confidence in you, dear saints, that you are equipped, you have what you need to counsel one another, to strengthen one another, to instruct one another. And yes, your pastors are meant to equip you for those times when all is not well with your soul, to help you in it and to point out the wolves, the enemies of your well-being. I'm not saying that there aren't times where we need to consult doctors when there's chemical things going on in our brains and if it seems like our emotions are put out of whack because of some physical reality. I'm not trying to be extreme here. But I want you to know that the shepherding of our souls, the Lord Jesus has entrusted to the pastors. And I invite you, church, to trust in the Lord's plan and provision for you. Not because I believe Michael and I are amazing. Trust me, we're not. Okay, I spend enough time with Michael to know he's not amazing. <laughs> and he can say the same. <laughs> okay? If you need references, ask my wife. <laughs> okay? We're not ama- it doesn't mean that we're amazing. But I say this to you because you need to know what is biblical. You need to know what the goal is. You need to know where to go. Christ has not left you alone to wander and figure things out. He has organized his church in a manner that he sees is fit to not just teach us doctrine, but also to care for our souls. Jesus Christ knows that we are whole beings. He knows our histories. He knows where we have battled. He knows the challenges of our souls. He knows our innermost thoughts. And so he calls men to dedicate their lives to study the word and to show themselves approved so that they can point us in the correct direction so that our souls can be cared for in all of those nitty gritties and all those little corners of things. Our prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is amazing. I hope you're getting that from all of this. To have a king like him is a great treasure. A king who shows us and cares for us 
and put structures in place with the care of our souls in mind. Oh yes, He died for us and He finished the work on Calvary. But you, He knows that while we're still here, we need His guidance. And so while He is not physically here with us, He has called His representatives to be with us. And so we need to thank Him and take part of what He has given to us. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust this good and great King. Place your faith entirely on Him. Sometimes men will disappoint you. But do not chuck out the baby with the bathwater. Perhaps you've been hurt by pastors before. In fact, I'd be surprised if not most of you have been hurt by pastors before. Abused by men who do what Peter said to not do, domineer and hurt people instead of caring for them. Given, wrong, given bad advice. Sometimes it's not even that. It's not that sinister. It's just bad advice that led to problems. I understand that. But still, as a Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ has, has said this is the way. And so trust in Him. Love Him. And honor the plan that He has given for you. And for those of you who are not believers, I invite you to trust this same King. To this good and loving King who cares for our souls. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, in many ways, Lord, I had thought I was going to feel very weak and frail after a message like this, thinking about this office that I occupy. But instead, I'm feeling a great love toward you, the way that you have organized and thought about us. The way that for each and every soul at this church, how you know them and how you want to lead them to green pastures and how you want to make sure that they are not overly burdened and overly thro thrown down. How you care for your sheep, not just in the work that you finished, but in the ongoing work that you have called them to. Oh Lord, you are a good, you are a good shepherd. You are the great overseer. What an elder you are to us. I do pray, Lord Jesus, for the oversight of this church now and into the future, that we might live up to the standards set out in the scripture. I do pray, Lord, that where you see weakness and failing, that you would correct and put a right so that your people are cared for in the manner that you would wish. I ask, Lord, for your grace and mercy on the oversight of this church and also on this church, on these people, that they might love you and, and that they might have their hearts completely enamored with you and your excellencies. Be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.